Hello and welcome to Building Brand You, the show where we help you to accelerate your success, getting you more clients, more revenue, more business and more opportunities by unlocking your greatest asset, you. My name is Kim Hamer and I'm an international business coach and serial entrepreneur. This podcast is designed for you to help you unlock what you already have and to give you a whole host of tools and techniques that can help you to accelerate your success by building your own brand you. Hello everyone and welcome to this special feature-length episode of Building Brand You. I am absolutely delighted to be joined by my special guest, Dr. Alan Barnard. Alan is an entrepreneur, philanthropist, strategy advisor, and research scientist. He is also an app developer, author, teacher, podcaster, and lifelong learner. Alan is considered one of the world's leading decision scientists and theory of constraints experts. His research focuses on understanding why good people make and often repeat bad decisions and how to avoid that. Alan is the CEO of Gold Rat Research Labs, created to help individuals and organizations make better, faster decisions when it really matters. From their research, Alan and his team have developed the range of award-winning Harmony Decision Maker, Harmony Change Maker, and Harmony Change Simulator apps. Their clients include Fortune 500 companies, government agencies, and people from over 70 countries using their apps to make difficult life and business decisions. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Alan Barnard. Well, hello, Alan. How are you today? I'm doing fantastically well. Thank you very much for the invitation. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so excited to have you on the Building Brand You show today. Uh, listeners, uh, Alan and I bumped into each other uh, at an event a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me all the stuff he's been doing, uh, which we're going to cover a little bit in our conversation on the show. And I just thought he would be the perfect guest uh, to bring to you early in 2022. So um, again, thanks for joining us and thanks for taking the time, Alan. Now, uh, I'd like to start by handing the mic over to you, and this is really an opportunity for you to tell your story. So, uh, without further ado, the mic comes over to you, and tell us, who is Dr. Alan Bonnard? Well, I think uh, in, in short, you know, we can define ourselves in a number of ways. Um, one way is to, to look at what's, what drives us, what's our life goal, and for me, it's about helping people make better, faster decisions in their life and in their business when it really, really matters. That's sort of the essence of me. That's what I wake up in the morning, what I'm curious about, what I'm passionate about, and what drives me. Um, how I got there was interesting story. Kind of, I grew up in South Africa. We were, you know, kind of low to middle class household. I wasn't particularly doing well at school or anything else. Um, and then when I was in primary school, you know, they asked us to write these tests. We had no idea what they were. And a couple of weeks later, um, a few of us were called up onto the stage, uh, myself and my best friend included. And we were told that we were part of a, a group of kids called gifted kids. And I don't know who was more shocked, you know, us or our parents, our teachers, 
because according to most definitions, we were nothing close to being gifted, you know. Um, but we had the opportunity as part of this to go after our normal school hours to go and attend the school for gifted kids. And we were able to do computer science. And we just loved it. And almost immediately, our marks started going up, you know. And everybody had their own theory. Oh, you know, they, now they're being stimulated, et cetera. Um, well, about three months into this, uh, my best friend got called into the principal's office. And, uh, you know, an hour later, he came out crying. And I said, what happened? And he said, they told him that there was a mistake in these tests and that he's not really gifted. And, I mean, I, I just still, still recall that. You can imagine, it's like, why would you tell a kid that, you know? And he was devastated. I thought, okay, it's just a matter of time before they called me out as well. And almost immediately, you know, his marks started dropping. And this really stuck with me, is how can it be that when you and others believe that you are gifted, that you then perform as if you're gifted? And then I, I read this quote from Henry Ford. My, dad, my granddad always encouraged me to read um, the famous quote where he said, you know, whether you believe you can or can't, you're right. And that sort of set me up. Uh, a few years later, I wrote an entry exam to get into high school, and I almost failed it. I barely, barely passed it. And by that time, I'd been doing really well. I was really happy, and this was devastating. And I thought, oh, remembering back that old scenario, I thought, okay, this is it. You're not really gifted. You've been able to wing it a little bit, but and I, almost immediately, my marks started dropping. And I was put into the D class for dummies. And just uh, you realize that that's where you're going to be stuck. And I remember that quote and said, well, what if I change my belief? What if I just rather than believe I'm not really gifted, I just had a bad day writing exams and I'm just going to study really hard. And, you know, I started doing really well and ended up performing really, really well. But it, 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 that really, that lesson stuck with me is that what we believe can change our decision making. And that sort of set me off on this path of studying, you know, why it is that some people have the ability to make really good decisions in life. And as a result, they become extremely successful in whatever field they choose to go into. Um, and others don't. Um, and of course, the, the simple answer is that it's all about our assumptions. And there was an interesting kind of lesson I learned from science. Um, in science, we know that you can't prove anything right, but you can prove it wrong. You know, there's this principle called one case is a proof, right? You just need one case. You know, you just need one black swan. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you've observed a million swans and they were all white. You just need one black swan and you realize, you know, that not all swans are white. The same thing is too fast. You know, we can grow up in an in a, in a environment where we have uneducated parents, we have no money, and as a result, I can believe, well, that's going to be my life. And I just need one case of somebody that grew up in similar conditions that made it to be successful that I realized that that hypothesis that I had, you know, that if you don't have educated parents or a lot of money, you... You know, you can't be, that is simply untrue. And that to me was interesting because I realized, well, if you can't prove something right, what do you, what do you believe in? How do you know what assumptions or beliefs you should have? And my discovery very early on, this was in my early teens, was that it's more useful to think of assumptions and beliefs 
as helpful versus harmful than right versus wrong. So if I believe I can do something, it can be extremely helpful if it allows me to try, right? But the same assumption, I believe I can, can also be very harmful if I try something that's massively dangerous and I don't put in the 10,000 hours to become an expert at walking on a tight rope, you know, I can fall down and kill myself. So that's kind of, that set me on this path of saying, you know, can I develop a process that can be used by companies or individuals that very quickly helps them to discover and challenge limiting or harmful assumptions or beliefs? And that's kind of like most entrepreneurs, I've turned this into a business and that's what I do now. I have a research lab and we study why good people make and often repeat bad decisions. Um, and the first answer is it's really easy to make a bad decision. There's always many, many, many ways of getting something wrong, you know, and very few ways of getting something right. When we teach the you know kids decision making, that's the first thing I teach them. And I say, give yourself some credit and any anybody that has made a bad decision that's affected you, give them some credit. You know, if you think about it, you have a recipe with four steps, four ingredients, one temperature setting, right? How many ways are there to get it wrong? <laughs> right? So that, that's the first thing is give yourself some credit. It's really easy to make a bad decision and actually really hard to learn from our decision mistakes. I mean, we have a built-in mechanism to learn from experience, like you touch a hot stove plate, you know, and you get immediate feedback and you learn. Of course, unless you're a, a you know, my boys, they have to touch it two times just to make absolutely sure. Um, but we learn from direct feedback. The problem in real life is that there's always lags and space and time between our actions and the consequences of our actions. So it's actually really hard to learn from experience. Imagine that stove plate burnt you just a day later or a week later. You know, how would you put those two events together? And that's kind of what I'm passionate about. So in our research lab, we study why good people make bad decisions and often repeat it both in their private lives but also in business. And we've developed a whole range of apps that are specifically targeted at helping us to avoid those really consequential decision mistakes. There's so much I want to ask you just in that first little bit, Alan. Sure. I mean, that, that whole story you told about your friend being told that they weren't gifted, that whole power of, of our mind and, and what we believe about ourselves. But I was thinking about my experience of coming from corporate to entrepreneur. Um, you know, I spent 28 years in corporate life and I've only been in the entrepreneur space for three years. And one of the things that just really resonated was that whole mindset. I needed to be around people who were doing and successful at what I wanted to do so that I could say, okay, this is valid, this does work, I'm not quite there yet, but there's, there's evidence, for want of a better word, that this is possible. Therefore, I believe it and I, I can keep going. And that power of uh, choosing how to surround yourself with the right beliefs and messages and, and the assumptions, the stories we make up in life um, about how life works is, is absolutely fascinating. Do you see that a lot? when we make decisions as kids or, or is it when we make decisions as adults as well that, that that kind of connection happens? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the you know apart from a decision um, to harm yourself or somebody else, you know, um, the the worst second worst decision is to convince yourself that it's impossible to do something. You know, so whether you're a small business owner or a large business owner or an individual, uh, as soon as you say it's impossible, basically it just gives an instruction to your mind to stop trying. Mm. Right. So essentially what I've done in my research lab is to see, are there simple questions that you can ask that can disrupt the mind from that vicious cycle? And uh, um, one of my biggest aha moments was I was working with a mining group and uh, um, was asked to, to teach them about theory of constraints and de-bottlenecking, one of the areas that I'm an expert in. And I walked into the room and I could just see from the body language that these guys were in no mood to get any lecture from anybody. Uh, and I said to them, you know, what's the issue? And very quickly we figured out that a target of 12 million tons for the year. They were in month four, they'd only done 3 million tons. They were a million behind and there was no clear way for them to catch up. And I did two things. I said to them, the first thing I want to know is, is what is currently occupying your budget and attention, write down all the things that you're currently working on. And when they got to sort of a hundred, you know, flip chart pages, I stopped them. And I then said to them, okay, we just agreed on the problem, right? The problem is that you're behind on meeting your tongue target, which is the, the goal of the business. Tell me how many of these hundred initiatives that you're working on is actually going to help you make progress towards that goal. And as you can imagine, there were like three or four. So that, that was the first big insight as we feel that something is impossible because we completely overload it. We literally don't have the attention to give to the things that really matter. So the, the first step in every project that we do now, whether we work with Fortune 500 companies like Microsoft or Amazon or with individuals is to say, make a list of all the things that you can stop doing because they're not helping you achieve the goal. But of course, that, that just releases capacity, right? It opens up the possibility. So the second thing I did was I called up the first team and we did some rough cut calculations of how much they need to speed up by in order to achieve the goal. And I said, so how are you going to do that? Just remembering at that stage, I have no domain experience about mine, right? I have no clue. So there's nothing I can offer them, some magical thing to, to help them produce more. And the guy just looked at me, the, the, you know, the manager of this group um, that exposes the ore, and he just looked at me and he said, it's, it's bloody impossible. We can't do that. If we knew how to do that, we would be doing it. It's impossible. Now, how do you respond to that? Because you can imagine, because he believes it's impossible, he's not even thinking about it. And just at that moment, I asked him the question, it's impossible unless... And it turns out to be one of those disruptive questions. A, a great disruptive question is something that allows you to take what's sitting in the subconscious mind and elevate it into your conscious mind. So as soon as you try to answer that less, and you can pick anything that you think is impossible, and you can try it for yourself, and the listeners can try it, right? Hmm. What you'll find is you can't help yourself. You immediately start thinking about all the conditions that make it impossible, right? Hmm. And, and your answer to the question is impossible unless it's giving you the conditions that will make the impossible possible. 
And it surfaces those, doesn't it? It surfaces those conditions. Once you write them down, you realize, well, they're not that impossible, right? Um, And and that's what happened to this guy. He he immediately is like, it's impossible unless, and, you know, he gave me this unless condition. And he said, you know, if we can go in there, we can open up this, but it will be too expensive. They'll never approve it. We're already behind budget. It's like, okay, do the calculations. Wow. You're going to get $50 million of benefit. It's only going to cost you $5 million. Do you think that they will approve that? Of course they will, right? And it was approved on the spot. And we replicated that for every level in the organization, starting off with ambitious target. It's so ambitious that people feel it's impossible. And then you just ask, it's impossible unless. And that to me, of all the things that I've developed so far, that's by far the simplest way to discover and overcome a limiting belief that really can be devastating and can lock you into a, a mode of, of lifestyle that you know you, you can't imagine getting out of. Mm. So where have you used uh, it's uh, impossible unless for yourself? Have you had an aha moment by using that statement for yourself, something you thought was impossible that has since yeah. not been? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I think... You know, um, growing up where I grew up in South Africa and then having this dream to make an impact on the world, you know, at that moment, it feels impossible, right? And then you say it's impossible unless. What is it that you can practically do to start making an impact on the world? And, you know, in the old days, there were very limited opportunity for a person to reach the world. It was basically writing books, right? And if you were extremely gifted writer, that was a, a fantastic way of writing books. You know, what my mentor that I met uh, very early on in my life, Dr. Ellie Goldberg, who was the creator of Fear of Constraints and shared my passion to, to find simple ways to help people make better, faster decisions. You know, he, he wrote a book when he was very young called The Goal, and it sold over 10 million copies. You know, it's one of the top 150 books of all time. But you really need to be a fantastically gifted writer to write books like that, right? There's not many of them around. So what other ways? And and that's kind of how I got into, I combined my early passion with, you know, decision making and, and computer science and realized that the way to reach a lot of people is not just about writing books or doing presentations and keep, and, and speaking, but to develop an app. And, mm. and that's kind of how my research lab has refocused over time to focus more and more on apps, because that to me is the way to, to, you know, make a massive impact on the world uh, with a very low budget. Of course, I've also tried, you know, the technique out for myself. It's impossible to be, you know, in a, in a fantastic relationship because mm. relationships are fragile. You know, we, we harmed much more by things that go wrong than what we benefit from things that go right. In fact, we take the things that go right almost as, as uh, you know, a given. You know, we're entitled to do that. So it's, relationships are by definition fragile. That's why we have such a high divorce rate. And even the people that stay married are generally quite unhappy. Um, so you can sit back and say it's impossible to be in a relationship that is incredible, that meets all your requirements and exceeds this unless... Mm. And you just start writing down those unless conditions. You know? Wow. And um, I mean, you, you met recently, you met my wife. We, we recently yeah. married. And it's just, it's incredible how if you purposefully design those things, right? Um, one of the, the big discoveries we made in our research is studying why you fall in love with somebody. 
and and that's not just romantically, but also as friends or business partners, right? Because there are so many different things that you could consider. So what in the essence of it is really that? Um, and it turns out it's people that make us feel special and safe. It really boils down to that. Mm. So, so once you realize that and you say, okay, it's impossible to be in an incredibly satisfying and, and you know, inspiring relationship unless, well, unless we can be very clear with each other about what makes us feel special and safe, but also, as importantly, what makes us feel unspecial and unsafe. Mm. And to share those lists with each other, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. it's, it's actually something I hadn't thought about it as the special and safe you know, context. I've been in a, in a number of different business partnerships as I've grown as an entrepreneur. And it's also something I talk about when I coach is I say, you need to, before you start talking about your business, you need to talk about you and what you value and where Absolutely. you want to go and what's really important to you. And you need to ask questions of that other person, because if those things are at odds, if those values and those, those, I guess, conditions are at odds, as much as you might be drawn to each other, it might not go very well because you're not really yeah. aligned with the other. But I love no, that we, special and we safe. We don't take yeah. enough time to that. You know, there's, there's, you've heard of the golden rule of, you know, treat others the way that you want to be treated. Yeah. But uh, mm. there's, a, there's a higher rule than that. It's called the platinum, which mm -hmm. is treat others the way that they want to be treated. You know, um, but that requires effort. It means that I need to understand how you want to be treated and probably more importantly, how you don't want to be treated. Those are the things that make you feel unspecial and unsafe. So, you know, it's now since I've made that discovery, we, you know, whenever I'm getting in a position of advising, you know, couples or businesses, it's that, it's like, just write down that list. What makes you feel special and safe? What makes you feel unspecial and safe? And share your list with your partner. Fantastic. I'm, I'm going to take that away and use that from that. I think that's, a, that's just such a simple way of thinking about it. So let's go back to the app. I'm, uh, this is where we, we sort of got quite animated in our conversation, wasn't it, when we bumped into yeah. each other? One of the things that I hear a lot um, as, a, as a business coach and also, you know, the question I've had uh, for myself is, should I build an app? What What's the purpose of an app? Everybody thinks they need an app and it all looks very simple on the surface and easy to do. And yeah. some of the things that you were sharing with me, I kind of went, okay, this is the, the, the behind the scenes, behind the curtains. This is what really goes on. So you talked about the power of reach of the app what what's sort of like the the, the light and the dark of of yeah. app of the app well, the, the light part is that you know the barriers to entry for building an app has dramatically reduced right something that used to cost five hundred thousand dollars can now be done for five thousand dollars right so people that say i want to build an app you know it's possible you could build an app you could uh Download some software that sort of allows you to use templates and plug and play and create something very, very quickly and that you can launch it. So that's the one trend is that the barriers to entry to build apps have dramatically reduced. So it makes it possible for more people to build apps. But there's a counter trend, which is the failure rate has also dramatically increased. It's somewhere between one in a thousand and one in 10,000 apps are actually profitable. 
And, and that's a devastating number to start off with. But when you're in the app development world, you understand why it is like that, right? So if I take one of our apps, the Harmony Decision Maker app, it's a cloud-based app, you know, that you can download onto your device. So whether you're using a Windows machine or Mac or, or iPhone or Android phone or Amazon Kindle or Fire device, right? You can download the app from the App Store, it saves all the content of your analysis of your decision on your device, but also in the cloud. And you have an expectation that if you log on to another device, it will automatically be all synced up and that you'll get the same content that you've just accessed on another device. So now you think about that as I have multiple platforms that I have to develop this app for. And then multiple versions of operating systems with each within each of the apps. So in the in the iPhone, you know, we have to be backward compatible to iOS 9 all the way to the latest iOS 15. So just from that perspective, it becomes so overwhelming. And and small errors in code can make the thing crash. So it becomes really, really difficult if you want to do it properly to succeed. So I think originally when the when the cost of developing it was so high, the only people that developed apps were people that could see a situation where maybe the cost was half a million, but the upside was at least 10x or 100x of that. So because there is not that rigor anymore, obviously the failure rate will increase. But the, the prize is still there, right? That if you get it right, you could reach millions and millions and millions of people. The light and the dark to it is it, that, yes, the barriers to enter is much, much lower. But before you get into it, what I did, I had this curiosity about decision-making. I started studying and researching everything I can about it, you know, studying the giants, trying to stand on their shoulders, check whatever they came up with, the methods, all the way to Benjamin Franklin's pro-con list, you know, what worked, what didn't work. Can I come up with a method that retained all the benefits of previous methods but overcame their limitations? Then I turned that into a process. I started teaching the process, checked if it worked. Then I started teaching others to see if, if they can teach it in a way that it works. And only once we validated through that, which is essentially what I ended up doing my PhD on, I was then comfortable, okay, now I have a repeatable process that really works. People doing it in workbooks sucks because if you make a mistake, you know, you have to go all the way back. It's hard for you to share it with your coach or your, your, your mentor. Then Sundian apps makes a lot of sense. And, and it was only then that we started developing the app. So that sort of sequence is important. Is don't try to develop an app when you have a, a process that hasn't been tested thoroughly that you haven't tested that it's actually replicable and, and can be taught and learned by others easily. Yeah, I think that's um, that's some great advice. So instead of building something for the app, actually build the, the process, the map first. and test yeah. that process first with people probably other than yourself because we can yeah, get exactly. very wrapped up in our own world and we see what we want to see. Um, I'm just, uh, I've just built my first online course and I've given it to my three virtual assistants who've never seen it before in their life. They've never done this particular piece of work that I do in coaching. And I've said, I want you to just go through the program, you just go through it and I want you to have a pen and paper beside you and I want you to tell me what doesn't work, what does work, what's confusing, what makes sense, what, like, just give me everything. So before we go out and promote it, it's right. only a sample of three, but at least 
it takes it out of my my world where I have lots of assumptions and lots of stuff in the background where I know how it's supposed to work. And, and it's not just true for apps, right? It's also true for online courses that you mm. just mentioned. You know, you mm. get the same massive failure rate. You know, mm. I have a couple of programs on Udemy and I was recently in contact with one of the, the leadership at, at Udemy and I asked them what's the average income per course for a lecturer that has taken a course and turned it into an online course and made it available on. It's probably one of the largest online platforms in the world. He said it's around 30 to $40 a year. Wow. And you, you know how much effort goes into yeah. that, right? <laughs> you, yeah. Most, most coaches and consultants can get easily $30, $40, you know, for not just an hour session, but maybe a half an hour session. There, there's so many apps, so many courses out there. So mm. to really be able to grab somebody's attention and keep it, you know, it takes a lot of uh, work and effort and thinking. And, and that's kind of obviously what you talk about in terms of branding mm. is one of the elements that can make all the difference. And it yeah. was something I originally struggled with. Because as yep. an engineer and scientist, we know nothing about branding, especially <laughs> personal branding, right? Getting yeah. out there and promoting yourself. Oh, gosh, it sucked. <laughs> it really sucked. I, I still, you know, I'm not very natural at doing it. But you realize you have to, you know, because yeah. even in Fortune 500 companies, you meet a person, you walk out of the room, the first thing that they do is they Google your name, you know? Yeah, but the world of Google and the, and the whole online world makes it very easy to to see what aligns, I think. And that's how, really how we build, build trust, isn't it? You know, it's about seeing right. what aligns with what we've seen and, and contributes to our beliefs about people and assumptions and all of that. What really contributes to the success or otherwise of an app, given you've had a few goes at it? I think it's like any solution, right, that has to solve a really important problem. But even if it does, unless you reach those people that have that consequential problem, it's not going to be successful. You're going to be wasting a lot of marketing spend on targeting people that don't have that. So that to me has been our biggest lesson, especially when you're taking an app like, like our Harmony Decision Maker app. You know, everybody makes decisions. We make around 30, 35,000 decisions every single day. You know, that can be absolutely overwhelming. The good news is most of those decisions don't matter. But there's mm. a few that matters a lot, right? Mm. So those are our dream customers. Somebody mm. is facing a massively consequential life decision. So get, consequential meaning if you get it right or wrong, it will have a big impact, right? Yep. And being able to reach those people at the time that they're facing that decision and First of all, creating awareness that there is an app out there that can help them make such a decision. Mm. And it's not that the app will make the decision, right? There are those that you can get. It's like, you know, throwing a, a dice or coin and mm. saying, okay. Magic eight ball. Yeah, yes. that's not very useful. Um, <laughs> but it's an app that has been designed to help you discover and overcome some limiting assumptions. Um, five steps, five limiting assumptions sequenced in that way. So it's, it's really that the success is going to be dependent on whether you can reach that person that has that consequential problem for which the app is the solution. And that's a mantra, I think, for any office in business, actually. Exactly. Um, you can substitute some of the words, but, you know, we are all here to solve the problems that matter 
that, you know, otherwise we wouldn't have businesses, we wouldn't work for businesses because there would be no reason for being. But, you know, it's again, it's easy to, to make mistakes, right? So one mm. of the biggest mistakes I see that I've made and I see many other entrepreneurs make is you develop something, you try it out and it's not giving you the revenue or the, the income or impact that you want to make. So you then jump onto the next thing and the next thing. You know, and all that you do is you're raising the potential that you have, but you almost never raise the actual result that you get versus going back and just picking that one thing that you do and asking yourself the question, how many people theoretically in the world could benefit from this thing? And it doesn't matter how micro niche you are, the number of people that will benefit will far, far exceed your capacity. Yeah, so, definitely. So that's, to me, the essence of focus is going back to that mm. rather than keep on adding more stuff that just increases that expectation gap because every time you add another product or service, you increase the potential income and in impact, but you don't increase your actual Yeah, because you have limited attention and budget, etc. So yeah. going back to that thing that got you in business in the first place, the thing that you're most passionate about, the thing that you really want to serve people, and then say, who mm. are they? Who are these yeah. dream customers that would get enormous value from what I'm doing? And then how do I reach them? I'm launching a challenge. It's based on one of my own frustrations. Why the heck aren't people buying my amazing product or service. You know, if you've ever been an entrepreneur business owner, that's probably the number one frustration. I mean, it's frustrating not to be able to come up with a product or service that can solve a big problem. But imagine you have mm. and nobody's buying it. So essentially what we're going to yeah. be doing next week is we're putting people into the position of their dream customer and say, okay, let's go through the process. What is the problem this dream customer must experience and how must it make them feel for your product or service to be the perfect solution? Mm. That's step number one. The step number two is what's their conflict, to buy or not to buy. Clearly, there's a unique positive of buying your product and there's a unique negative of not buying it, right? Mm. You have to make sure that they really get that. But there's also a unique positive of not buying and a unique negative of buying. What are those things? Try to yeah. put yourself in the mind of your dream customer and see if you can speculate what those are because that will give you insight of how you have to change your offer. Oh, fantastic. So, so, so learning yeah. how to make decisions also can help us understand why other people are making bad decisions that negatively impact them. Yes, yeah, like not buying yeah. our product. <laughs> exactly. You know, we're not listening to our incredible advice, you know. Exactly. Not listening to the yes. lovely customers we want to serve because You're we right. want to serve them the dish they don't want. You know, we, had, we read yeah. more books, we yeah. attend more masterminds. We, we keep on adding potential, but you don't add real results. Real yeah. results come from focus, you know, going back and yeah. saying, who do I feel most passionate about? And there, there's a kind of an interesting um, analogy to that in terms of our personal lives is there's so many things that we can do, can't do. You know, how do we decide? Uh, I had the incredible privilege of, of being on Necker Island with Richard Branson twice already in my life. And one evening we were sitting chatting and I, I asked him, I said, you know, there's been so much written about what you've said has made your life challenging when you were growing up, suffering from this lecture feeling that you were always stupid, that you didn't get it as quickly as anybody around you. What was that moment when you realized that this limitation can be overcome? He said to me, it was when he realized that 
he struggled reading. He struggled to remember stuff until he started reading something that he was really interested about. And suddenly the limitation was not that dominant anymore. Mm. He found it much easier to read. Mm. Right? And I, I think the same thing is, is when you find that one thing that you truly are interested and curious about, many of the obstacles that could be insurmountable obstacles suddenly just go away. I found this. Um, it took me a, a little while to find, uh, like, what does that mean? Like, you know, business coach, very broad, and even marketing yeah. um, coach, which is a lot of my background. But it was when I landed on the building brand you and what it meant in terms of um, getting to who people really were, all of a sudden I could feel the passion come. And when things don't quite work, uh, I go, okay, so that didn't quite work. Why didn't it work? Is there a tweak I make? But I don't go on to, oh, building brand you doesn't work what what is it you know ask the audience get so you know just get some other people to you know get out of my head and go okay so i believe this is right and it makes a difference and that's what i'm meant to do it is what i'm right. meant to do and that that belief you're right that belief makes the obstacles seem less just seem like challenges or problems yeah. to solve rather than showstoppers yeah no, no, I mean, we, we all have real limitations, you know, mm. it's finding out what can I do where those limitations are not massively impactful. Yeah. And, and that's okay. when you find what you're really passionate about, things just happen easier. It's like being in the right relationship, right? Mm. So, mm. Suddenly it's just easier. Okay, that's a, that should be good feedback that I've found the right person. That, that doesn't mm. feel like effort. Definitely. Someone said to me really early on when I'd left corporate life and I was sort of driving myself to, to, oh, you know, this is such a sensible investment and I should do this and all that sort of thing. And someone very innocently said to me, asked me about my background. He said, I always wonder why people leave corporate life and then don't leverage what they know. Mm -hmm. And he sort of walked off and I went, Huh. But I look back on that. It was it was such an insightful thing to say. Work with what you're great at and what you believe in, and start with what you've got. Yeah, mm. and I think what you've got is that. What is that goal that you almost can't help yourself try yeah. to achieve, right? And just using that as your anchor point is, is, I think, one of the most useful questions to ask yourself on an ongoing basis is: Is what I'm doing now? Are the people that I'm with now, both in my business and in my personal life, is it helping me make progress towards that goal, whatever that goal is? Yeah. And, and often the answer is no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and, and it's hard. Okay, then stop it, you know. Stop yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's my, yeah. My grandfather used to tell this joke. It's like the guy walks into the doctor's room and the doctor says, what's wrong? And he says, it really hurts when I do this, you know, when I move my arm like this. And the doctor says, well, stop it. <laughs> 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 that's brilliant you're gonna steal you know, that one too i might yeah, credit you know, your grandfather with that we do is we do <laughs> yeah. these things and and when we ask ourselves is this really helping us get mm. anywhere and if we are brutally honest we'd say no it's not it's like okay then stop it yeah stop doing this thing stop being with this person so why do we find it so hard love. to stop to make that decision because that's a hard uh, one i think yeah it, it is because we've got you know we all have a status quo bias right mm. when when we make decisions it can be really overwhelming so we need some kind of bias to decide right we have evolved into a species that has a bias that way what we have much greater than what we don't have. 
And for most people, that transforms into a status quo bias. The better dev- the devil you know, right? Yeah. It actually takes hard work to do the opposite. There's a small percentage of, of people that suffer from the opposite. They have an adventure bias, mm. right? They struggle to make commitments. They struggle to stay in a relationship, stay in a job, because they're constantly seeking the thrill of new things. So they have the opposite problem. They really have to work hard to convince themselves that actually it's better not to move, right, to stay where you are, because the upside of moving is very small and the downside could be really big. So that that's the short answer is we have a status quo bias. If, if you think about why do we, you know, struggle to quit the bad habit, smoking. So there again, it, it comes back to, is there some kind of disruptive question you could ask yourself? And this is one that we built into our Harmony Decision Maker app, is that if you're trying to Say you're trying to convince a friend of yours to stop smoking or using drugs or some other harmful thing, right? What we often do is we assume it's because they're stupid. So we, we, we ask them, don't you realize what the benefit will be if you stop or the negative if you continue? As if they don't know. Of course yeah. they know. You know? Yeah. <laughs> they know the benefit of stopping smoking or using drugs or you know drinking too much or whatever it is, right? What is in their subconscious that's holding them back is not the fact that they don't see the negative if they keep on doing it or the positive if they stop. Is that in their mind, there's a negative of stopping and there's a positive of not stopping that they would have to give up. By asking them that directly, which is what we do on our app, mm. we would say to you, Kim, what is the positive, the unique positive of smoking? That you don't want to give up, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a hard question. Yeah. You, what we tell people is give yourself some credit. You wouldn't do it if there wasn't some major positive. Now, it, yeah. that positive is an assumption that might be a really bad assumption, but start with that. And, and what people would say is, well, it helps me cope with stress. And, and that's why they stuck. Because in their mind, they say, I have a stressful life. I need a way of coping with stress. Here's a way that I found that helps me cope with stress. But what happens is whether you write it in a workbook or you type it into the app, right? So what is the unique positive of smoking? And you say, it helps me cope with stress. What you've just done is you've transferred that assumption or belief from the subconscious to the conscious. Now it's staring back at you. And you can't help by starting to question it and going, is that really true? And and even if it is, is that the best way of coping with stress? Is there not another way, right? And that's what we kind of do in our app is we ask you that disruptive question, Mm. you answer it, and then the app tells you, look at what you've written. Is that really true? Mm. Could you be exaggerating that? Could there be another way of doing that? Mm. And the same with, so what's the negative if you just stopped cold turkey tomorrow, never smoked again, never drank, what would be the major negative, right? And Mm. you think about what would you answer to that? Somebody might say, well, I'm scared that if I stop smoking, I will gain weight. Now, that was the assumption in their subconscious that was blocked. All that the app does is asks you the right question. You write your answer, type it in. But once it's there looking back at you, you can go, is that really true? Will I automatically gain weight if I stop smoking tomorrow? Will I be a miserable person? You know, won't I be fun to be around with? All of those things that's sitting in our subconscious can be exposed by just being asked the right question. And then when Mm. you answer it, not in your head, but when you actually write out the answer, type out the answer, it will then stare back at you. And then then you are ready to challenge it. 
but you can't challenge an assumption or belief that's sitting in a subconscious mind. It, it, it doesn't treat it as an assumption, it treats it as no. fact. Because yeah. that's how we make decisions. We have these mm. assumptions and it's just, if this, then that, if this, then that. We're in fully yeah. automatic mode most of the time when we're in decisions. Mm. So you actually need to slow down your thinking, get those questions to help you expose those assumptions and then you're ready to check and challenge them. Brilliant. You know, what is it about investing in how we make decisions for people you know there's lots of things they can invest in lots of apps they can do so why would people you know sort of leads on from what you you said sure. just is that is that really where the value of investing in i guess decision science from a big picture yeah. point of view for you but in in evaluating how we make decisions yeah. investing in your own ability to make better faster decisions there's a massively high leverage point, right? Because mm. when you get it right, the the consequences is always 10x, 100x, 200x, mm. right? Mm. Uh, and that's been one of our frustrations is you find people that's been procrastinating on a decision, you know, what to go and study, whether to get married, whether to have kids, whether to quit my job, whether to get out of a toxic relationship. They'll walk around with that thing as a dark cloud hanging over their head for weeks and months and sometimes years, mm. but they won't sit down for an mm. hour to just think through it. And that, that's kind of the, the, the campaign that I'm on is to say, invest in your own ability to make quality decisions. And you'll walk away with a confident decision because you acknowledge that you've looked at this thing from all angles. You've explored all the viable mm. options and you, come, you came up with an option that has a much bigger upside than what you ever thought was possible with a much lower downside than what you thought you'd have to ever live with. So that to me is why it's a good investment, right? Mm, Is that mm. it has a big upside if it works and a small downside if it doesn't. Okay. Mm. The other upside of it is, particularly with the the app, the the way you've been talking about that, is that what we're doing is building a better decision-making muscle. So it might, like learning a language, like learning to play a musical instrument, like driving the car. The more we do it, the more it falls into our unconscious and becomes just part of your the way your brain works yeah but it also it also helps us to understand you know we use this technique uh, at schools with kids that are being bullied the thing that causes most of the suffering interestingly enough is not the physical abuse because you you recover from that it's the mental suffering of not understanding why they're doing it to me oh wow that's that so um, when you put them unspecial and unsafe thing isn't it yeah into the shoes of the bully, you say, put yourselves in the shoe of the bully. Mm. Try to understand why they're doing it to you. What's the unique positive that they get from doing it? What's the unique negative that will happen to them if they stop? And yeah. by the way, if you're struggling to do that, have you ever bullied anybody yourself? Can mm. I phone your little younger brother or sister? <laughs> you know, and then they all sort of break out into hysterical giggling. So, so it's not that difficult. You've done it before yourself. So it's not that difficult to imagine. All that we know is that people are good. You know, good people make bad decisions for good reasons. Yeah. It's our job to find out what that good reason is and yeah. see if we find a better reason. So we've been, you know, chatting oh, for like 45 minutes, I think, already. Yeah. Such amazing stuff. For our Building Brand New listeners, what, what would be something that you'd like to leave them with today? One of the toughest groups to teach is young kids, right? <laughs> because they are brutally honest. If what you're saying is not interesting, they sleep or they play a game or something, right? So we've had to come up with really innovative ways to teach 
you know, the core lessons. And I think one of the most important things, whether you're a kid or an adult, to remember is that life is kind of driven by a mathematical formula. And when we say that to kids, they obviously it's like curious, like, what is it? And then I write on the board E plus R equal O. And mm. I just let them leave it. Like, and I let them speculate what it stands for. And then finally say, it's events plus response equal outcome. Mm. So it doesn't matter who you are. There's going to be positive and negative events that will happen to you. For most of it, you can't control these things. To some degree, you can influence them, but you can't control what happens to you in your life. Those are the events, the random events. If you're lucky, you have more positive ones than negative ones. If you're unlucky, it's the opposite. You can't control that, but you can always control your response. And your response can make any event better or worse. If you have a negative event and you have a negative response, it's a double negative. But if you have a positive event and you have a positive response, it's a double positive. And those responses is our decisions. Something has happened. What am I going to do about it? So firstly is what are my options? And to list those options down to realize that some of those options that I have are not really options because they will make it worse. Mm. So, so isolate those ones that are positive responses. Right? Mm. And that is how you change your outcome, how people that grow up with the bad luck of having many, many negative events happen to them in their life still have a massively positive outcome because they had a, the courage to choose to make a positive response to whatever happens to them. And I think that to me is the essence of, of what drives me and hopefully a lesson that everybody can take is to say you you don't have much control over what happens to you, but you always, always have control over your response. Oh, fantastic. It has been so wonderful to have you on the show, Alan. I, I, I'm just buzzing. I've got so many notes and I've not asked like a quarter of them, but never <laughs> mind. It is what it is. But you've been absolutely brilliant. Thank you for joining us. If people um, want to get in touch with you to find out more about the app or anything that you're doing or they want to follow the challenge or anything like that, how do they, how do, they do that? So I have a personal website, drallenbarna.com. Uh, our website for our app is called harmonyapps.com. I also have a YouTube channel, Dr. Alan Barnard. I have a podcast series called Impossible Unless. Um, but I'll also share with, with you my direct uh, messaging details on Instagram and Facebook, etc., so people can reach out directly if they have any burning questions or they think that there could be some value in collaborating. Perfect. And listeners, we will put all of those details in the show notes. And we'll also, you um, made a reference to the Dr. Goldratt book. Uh, as yes, well so what goal. we'll do is yeah the goal so we'll put yeah. um a link to that if listeners are interested in exploring that they can they can go there awesome. so all that remains for me to do is to just say thank you and i'm so glad we bumped into each other and had a little rant about apps <laughs> absolutely and thank you for for all the brilliant questions uh, you bring out the best when you ask the right questions um, thanks for joining us for this uh fantastic episode and uh, i will speak to you next time thank you Thank you for listening to the Building Brand You podcast. I'm Kim Hamer, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And for all the latest news and tips, become a member of the brand new Building Brand You Facebook group. I help people to accelerate their success by unlocking their greatest asset. If you'd like to find out more, please book in for a free 20-minute coaching call 
at calendly.com forward slash Kim Hamer forward slash BBY chat. Accelerate your results by unlocking your greatest asset, you.